السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وعليكم السلام ما شاء الله ما شاء الله I never knew that two sons could rise in the same sky but today we have two sons ما شاء الله in the sky Alhamdulillah with a U not with an O I want to welcome Sister Nuseba who is leading the Muslim organizing component of the Senator Sanders campaign officially how you doing Thank you so much for having me. So happy to be here. Thank you. Hey, it's my pleasure. And Dr. Abdul Sayed, straight from Michigan, the 313, former gov- gubernatorial candidate, now, mashallah, a physician in the area and a progressive activist. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for having us. So, mashallah, let's just jump into it. Um, Nuseba, since you are working in this official capacity, Can you kind of give us um, the kind of role that the Muslim community can play in supporting and helping Senator Sanders and why that's important? Yeah, let's just dive right in. I mean, I'm going to give a little bit of context first, if that's okay, about American Muslim activism. And what I like to share is that 2020 is a really historic year for Muslims, because if you think back, Imam Soheib, and you know very well, like 20 to 30 years ago, We still had people saying that voting was haram. I mean, even until today, there's still some people who say that, right? Mm. And I think the American Muslim, you know, community or our communities weren't that involved in political activism or organizing at that time. And of course, that is with the large exception of black Muslims who were always active, who were essential to the civil rights struggle, to black freedom struggle and, you know, helped us earn these rights that we have today. But among like immigrant American Muslim communities, you know, it was it was common to hear and it still is sometimes we hear like voting is haram <laughs> and then we got that address, right? And now, you know, what we're seeing is well, first of all, after that, what we saw is people were like, All right, you know what, we gotta get organized. Muslims, we gotta get someone who represents us. We have to have, you know, a Congress member, we have to have a senator who speaks for us who who represents us who cares about the issues we care about so what did we do we put our money behind those candidates right we started fundraising we started donating we started hosting fundraisers and meeting candidates but this year 2020 we have a presidential candidate and we have muslims like we've never seen before organizing and that doesn't mean just fundraising We're seeing this shift from contributing our money to contributing our time and energy for a candidate. Mm, and mm. that, th- yeah, it's really, it's really a historic year. I mean, this is really going to go down in the history books because it's like 2020 Muslims are organizing. Just last year, we got Ilhan Omar. We had Rashida Tlaib. I mean, these congresswomen, and they gave us this hope and this spark of energy. And so right now we have Muslims every single day across the country in almost every state who are phone banking, canvassing, going door to door, going to their masjids, canvassing there, going to halal grocery stores. You know, in nearly every state we have um, events hosted by Muslims for Bernie. And it's really just beautiful. We also have a Slack channel, a campaign Slack channel, where, you know, hundreds and hundreds of Muslims are getting together, sharing their photos of their canvases, sharing their photos of their phone banks, sharing photos of chai houses where they meet together at their homes and talk about Bernie and, and you know, introduce their friends to, you know, Bernie's policies and how to get active and engaged. Mm. 
Nice. So it's it's really awesome. For someone listening, um, Dr. Sayed, I know that, you know, you being a physician, your role in kind of the history of public health in Detroit is incredible. Can you talk about, you know, this is a hot issue, Medicare for all. Uh, what is Medicare That's for right. all and how is Bernie going to pay for it? Yeah, well, let me tell you um, uh, first, you know, for me, I come to politics through uh, social justice and, and healthcare at the juxtaposition between those two. And um, it's the reason I uh, took on the role of rebuilding the health department in Detroit as the health commissioner. It's the reason I ran for governor. And it's the reason that I support Medicare for all and I support Senator Sanders. Um, Medicare for all is uh, a recognition that one of the reasons that healthcare uh, is inaccessible to too many people, it's too expensive uh, for almost everyone. It's inefficient and it doesn't work like it should. Um, and unfortunately, it's ineffective uh, is because we have a system that relies on paychecks rather than for our well-being. And what Medicare for all does is it says we don't have to have private insurance uh, in fact, it would be more efficient, more effective, more equitable uh, if we did away with private insurance and we had one strong national health insurance program uh, that gave uh, health care to every single person in America. Um, we could do it cheaper. Uh, it would cover everyone. And po folks wouldn't have to worry about the costs that come at the back end of getting health care. You, you and I both know, right? You go to the doctor and then you're just waiting for that bill to come back and hit you. Under Medicare for all, that wouldn't happen. Um, right now in America, we pay more for healthcare than any other high-income country in the world, any other country in the world. We spend 18 cents on the dollar for every dollar spent in our entire economy on healthcare. Um, that compares to a place like Canada where they do have a single-payer program like Medicare for all, uh, where they pay 11 cents on the dollar. So nearly half is expensive. They're happier with their healthcare. They even live two years longer than we do. Um, so the question of how we pay for it, well, instead of paying all this money through our employers or uh, out of our own paychecks to have an insurer and then have them uh, force us to pay again uh, after we get sick. Uh, instead, we would be paying a tax. And that tax, uh, if you estimate, if you look at what the, the science has says about it, uh, would save on average the American family $2,600, actually $2,400 a year. So uh, we're not actually paying for it. In fact, we, we'd end up getting money back um, to get better health care that's there when we need it, that covers all of the things that we need without having to worry about the heartache and the headache, uh, everything else. And as a doctor, you know, watching as the system just chewed up and spit out poor people uh, and people of color, I knew that I didn't want to work in that system if I couldn't fix that system. And that's why I'm doing what I do now. Mm. And, and that, that, you know, that touches on the ideas of justice, right? Making sure that everyone has, you know, decent access to decent health care. I remember uh, about four years ago, man, I had a blood clot in my leg. Uh, mm. was hospitalized for five days, came out with like $125,000 bill. I was like, what? Wow. Um, and then they put me on Eliquis, which I'm sure you may know, uh, mm -hmm. which is a blood thinner. And I went, and at that time, I didn't have insurance. It was $350 a bottle. It's not cheap. Yeah. And then I got insurance, and it was $35. Mm -hmm. wow. And so I asked my physician, I said, what happens to people who can't, you know, who don't have insurance? And he's like, we have a 75% non-return rate, meaning people don't come back and get and follow up with their prescriptions. So you have people <laughs> with blood clots just walking around who need to be on um, blood thinners. A, a response to that, and, and I'm going to just push back nicely, is that some people say, well, can you show us an example in the world where socialized medicine actually has worked? 
some people compare it to like failed public schools, right? They say, well, if we have failed public schools, we're going to have a failed healthcare system. How do you respond to that? Well, Imam Zahib, I think it's a it's a it's a it's a pushback I hear all the time. Um, you know, I live in 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 Michigan, and I can go twenty miles, and I get to Canada. And in Canada, they have exactly the system I'm proposing, right? And I would even call it socialized because uh, the the doctors and the hospitals they stay private, right? They work for themselves. They uh, they they're they're out there trying to make money for themselves and exist as a business. It's just the insurers that uh, that are public and. Um, you know, in Canada, they spend 11 cents on the dollar for healthcare. We spend 18 cents on the dollar. Uh, in every survey that's comparable, they're happier with the healthcare than we are. They live two years longer lives. And if the goal of the health system is not to keep you alive, I don't, I don't know what the whole point is, mm. right? And even their doctors are happier uh, when it comes to their experience of, of being able to provide care. Because the worst thing as a doctor is to see somebody who's sick and then know that you have to turn them away because they can't pay. Can you mm. imagine that? You, you went to med school for four years. You did three plus years of training after that. You have this skill that you want to use to make people better. And then you have to turn them away because the health system says uh, that those folks can't pay and their lives aren't worth the same. Um, and so, you know, that that's just an example that's 20, 20 miles from a house, right? Um, and every other high income country in the world does healthcare similar to this uh, or even more um, government involvement than uh, what, what Bernie Sanders is proposing. And so this, this works, but you know, bigger picture, I, I just wrote a book that's coming out later next uh, month and it's called healing politics. And one of the points that I always try and make in the book is that a lot of folks will point to government that's been hijacked by people who don't believe in government and then cut off from the resources that it needs to survive. And then point, they point to it and say, well, look, see, government doesn't work. <laughs> like, yeah, of course it doesn't work. It's like, it's like pointing to a car and saying, look, I didn't put gas in the tank. See, the car doesn't work. So you got to put gas in the tank and then the car can work. Um, Government's the same way. If you starve it from the resources it needs, uh, then yes, it doesn't work. But uh, we need to start investing in government to do the things that it uniquely can do. I think healthcare is one of them, uh, and so does Bernie Sanders. Yeah, I'd rather put my money in the government than a company that's going to charge me more and mm -hmm. more and more and more and make more and more and more money. Nuseba, I mean, your story mm -hmm. is incredible. Um, it's funny. I didn't realize whose sister you were until we had yeah. an <laughs> incidental conversation there. And you, you've been... I guess since November, basically, this is your life. Uh, this is what mm -hmm. you eat and breathe. Yeah. But obviously, there Absolutely. has to be some kind of personal passion. You know, people don't yeah. work the way that you work. So I think it's extremely important to hear the story of a Muslim woman who has found utility, right, in this incredible campaign. Yeah. And then yeah. if you can just kind of give us that trajectory and then why you, what, what pushed you to be involved in the way that you're involved? Yeah, well, you know, growing up, um, I experienced hate crimes and Islamophobia from a young age. And, you know, I guess I can use that term loosely, hate crimes, but, you know, verbal assaults, right? Um, and I grew up, I was born and raised in the Redneck Riviera, and I wore hijab from a young age. I've been wearing hijab for nearly 15 years. Mm. And so that in itself, you know, made me automatically aware of my identity as a Muslim woman. And... Then I started to get involved in politics and community organizing because when your identity is so strongly attacked, you want, you know, you want to find a voice, you want to find something. And I remember very vividly the first time my, my father took me to um, a Bay County Democrats meeting and I was like the only Muslim, we were the only Muslims there, right? And I, at that time, like I na naively thought that if people just learned about Islam, everything would be better, right? <laughs> I think we, we all had that 
phase where we're like, yeah, we just need to tell people Islam is peace and everything. But what we really need, and I realize that is what we really, really need is a transformation in American leadership. We need leadership that really cares about us, that really sees us, Mm. um, that really values our voices, that really values our existence. And so I was really moved to action probably around summer of 2014 with the rise of Black Lives Matter. And I started to realize, you know, these are issues that affect all Americans. These affect all people of color. These, you know, these issues affect the working class, um, undocumented students who couldn't um, go to college in Georgia, in the state of Georgia. So these were issues that I started to deeply care about. And I realized the intersections of them. And I started to say, you know what, we really need to do something. And I kind of didn't really like the idea of getting politically involved. I like I like community organizing and wary of politics. But for once, I think we really have a candidate. You know, Senator Sanders really speaks to us, really speaks to Muslims, immigrants. And we saw that in Iowa, you know, where Muslim, Muslim um, places of worship, masjids, were caucus sites for the first time. And in in Iowa's history and people, we have videos on Twitter where people are asking, hey, you know, is this your first time voting? Raise your hand if this is your first time voting. And you saw scores of people like waves of just waving their hands up in the air. And it was beautiful, you know, and they were all immigrants. They were first time voters. They were in, you know, like churches and masjids and you had Eritreans and Nepalese and Latinos and Muslims who really made, are making 2020. They're making it our year, the people's year. Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Um, and the first mosque is in Iowa, right? So you got first caucuses and yeah. the first mosque. I don't know. There's so, there's so much like debate around the first mosque. Was it South Dakota, North Dakota, South Carolina? I don't know. <laughs> the whole earth, the whole earth is a masjid according to the hadith. That's so we'll, right. We'll just roll That's with that. Right. Uh, That's right. I, Creeping Dr. Sharia. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Dr. Sayed, you said something that, that, that struck me. I, I did a degree in education, uh, taught in public school for a while taught in private schools and when you said you know you any physician that spends a number of years and then has to turn people away i started to think well let me think if i was sitting in in let me think if i was sitting in a classroom and i had to turn a child away from from learning um we know that you know college debt uh college fees are something that are really um on people's mind, I teach at NYU. I'm going to tell you honestly, we've had students that are homeless at NYU mm-hmm. um, because they couldn't afford to live and study at the same time. Um, we have students who spend the majority of their days in our library and take showers at the YMCA. Can you talk about College for All, um, what that is and why that's important? Yeah, absolutely. That's, that's not terrible. I mean, that's that's the state that we're in right now. You're talking but, about NYU. You, like NYU. Yeah, and, and that, yeah, and this is the, this is the problem, right? Is it's an unseen epidemic because, of course, if you're that kid who's uh, sleeping in the library and, and showering at the YMCA, you're not going to go out yourself to your your classmates, right? You're you're trying to you're trying to fit in with everyone else. It's college, um, and this is the circumstance that people are finding themselves in, and it's 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 the kind of epidemic we need to bring out of the shadows. Um, let me just put this in 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 its scale for you. So, in America about $1.5 trillion are owed in student debt 
And to put that in perspective, that's that's bigger than the entire GDP of Australia and New Zealand and Ireland combined. Mm. And this is a, a huge drag on our economy because every dollar that people are using to service a loan that they took out, you know, five, 10, 15 years ago, that's a dollar that's not being turned through the economy. It's not, you know, buying a latte at, at, the, at the coffee shop. That's not buying a house. Um, and so being able to free people from that debt, uh, that is that is the idea here. And, you know, given the fact that so many people owe it, it's not just that some folks made some decisions. It's, it's, a, it's a nationwide uh, epidemic and phenomenon. And so the idea is basically to say, look, college, if we know that education is like the most human thing we can do, offer somebody an idea, right? Like even... Me offering you some piece of knowledge doesn't take it away from me. It's like the only good that's like that. And so if we know that it makes people better and stronger, makes our country stronger, then we should be giving it away uh, as often, wherever, whenever, to whomever that we can, because it makes our country better. That's the premise behind free college for all. Can we afford it? Absolutely, we can afford it. The problem is we can't afford not to do it. Um, just put it in perspective, right? Our country's, um, in the last uh, 15, 20 years, we fought two wars abroad trillions of dollars and nobody stepped back and said you know can we pay for that they just decided that 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 it was something we needed this this ought to be the same way healthcare, education these are just things that people need um and the fact that the richest most powerful country in the world does not routinely offer them uh is a, a moral failure and that's the whole point is that we got to correct that um and so we've, we've got to step up on this issue uh we've got to empower people to, to to have dignity as they learn uh, and empower them into the careers that they can have 45 million americans about 1.6 trillion dollars in college debt man that's absurd that's insanity that's absurd and and again when people say we can't afford it well you can afford to go to college right you can afford to to pay the middleman to to handle things for you um and i, I really like the idea of expanding pell grant pell grants to cover non-tuition and fee costs because mm -hmm. that stuff that stuff gets crazy i know when i was in college that stuff caught up with me uh, and I had to start working full time just to pay that stuff off. And then, you know, there are uh, I've heard that there's kind of a proposal to put money back into HSBCUs uh, that mm -hmm. Senator Sanders also has floated. And when I was in Boston, next to our mosque was actually a historic black college, which no one really paid a lot of attention to Roxbury Community College, which which struggled, like began to struggle um, because of gentrification, changing Right. The demographic of the neighborhood no longer supports uh, that institution. So that looks extremely promising, man. Uh, Noseba, what are Muslims doing right now to organize for the campaign? Well, right now we have over 2000 active Muslim volunteers. And like I said earlier, we have a Muslims for Bernie Slack channel where our Muslim volunteers connect with each other about the organizing work they're doing in their communities. And that's where I find some of the biggest inspiration to my work. Um, we use Slack to exchange ideas, we share best practices, and we celebrate each other every time that, you know, someone shares a photo of an event they hosted or, you know, the place they canvassed. So um, what, what you can do right now is go to berniesanders.com forward slash volunteer, get involved, host a phone bank, host a canvas. Um, if you're if you're in a March voting state, you should be canvassing. Can you define canvassing for people who don't know what that is? Absolutely. So canvassing is basically talking to people about Bernie. And what we have is the Burn app, which is a revolutionary tool built by the campaign. And it really is like the backbone of our campaign. <clears throat> 
So what I would do for, for example, someone walking out the masjid, I would go, Hey, someone I go, my name is Nuseba. Um, you know, are you voting in 2020? And so I start that conversation. I find out if they're voting and if they tell me, yeah, they're registered to vote, then I'll say, all right, let me check that for you. Using the burn app, I can check their voter file. All I have to do is put in their first and last name and like their city and state or zip code, either one. And then I can literally immediately find their voter file um, and just connect it and match it. And then I tell them, all right, can I know who you're interested in voting for? And logging that information in the burn app is so helpful, just knowing which candidate that they're interested in voting for. So if they are interested in Bernie Sanders, then we would ask them for their voting, uh, for their, you know, uh, inform contact information. And so if they want to get plugged in, immediately we get them plugged in. We get their phone number or email and get them plugged into our volunteering efforts. Mm. Now, if they say that they're definitely not interested in Bernie that, and they're interested in another candidate, then, you know, that information is helpful, too. And logging that information is helpful because then what we do is we have, you know, thousands or millions, actually millions of calls being made. And what we do is call these people who are interested in Bernie and who want to vote for Bernie. And we know not to include those people who aren't voting for Bernie. We call the people who are Bernie supporters and tell them, hey, it's time to vote in your state. You know, this is your polling information. Make sure to go vote at this address on, on this day. And that's how really our grassroots movement is built. Mashallah, mashallah. Yeah. Dr. Sayed, I just want to emphasize you're not officially part of the campaign, but as you mentioned earlier, you're someone who aligns and passionately believes in, in what the campaign stands for. Uh, I've endorsed Bernie Sanders, um, and, and, and one of the big reasons I endorsed him is because I got to know him when he came to Michigan to campaign for me uh, when I was running for governor. And, you know, he, he, when I, when we were talking, um, Bernie has this way, he, he always cuts right to the, right to the, to the to issue that matters. And, uh, as I was talking to them, he, he said, look, I, I've already read the memo on you. I know what you, what you're running for. And, you know, we, we ran on the same issues, universal healthcare and, and, and 100% renewable energy and, um, and alleviating college debt and rebuilding public schools. He said, I want to know why you, why you, why you believe in those things. And it was a really insightful question. Right. It was the question of, you know, who are you at your core? What are the things that have motivated you to believe in this and how uh, how invested in, in those things are you? And so there's something about Bernie where it's not just what he stands for. A lot of people have seen the value of those uh, of those positions and, and have taken him up in this election. But it's the fact that he's had the kind of integrity that he has for literally the past 50 years to be running on these issues without fail, without question. Uh, always uh, focusing on the people who uh, are most oppressed and most downtrodden in our society. I will say, you know, to, to the point that, um, to, that Nuseba made, campaigns exist because people decide to make them happen. Oftentimes in our community, right, every, every community dinner uh, devolves into some conversation about politics, but we engage our politics like bystanders, like it's just watching the weather. Nuseba, let me ask you a question. What is the most important policy piece that Bernie is pushing to you personally and why? Honestly, I really care about our community. And I think that's like my core, right? What I care about doing is making sure that the needs of our community are addressed. And most American Muslims care about honestly, the same things every other American cares about. We care, um, we believe deeply that healthcare is a human right. We believe that 
America should be safe and welcoming for everyone. Uh, we want to see the Muslim ban revealed, and that's something that um, Senator Sanders is going to do in his first day in office. And, you know, those are just the issues we care about. And also, of course, we want to see justice in our criminal justice system. That's Those are the issues that we care about. And that's that's why Senator Sanders speaks to us so much. And we can talk about, you know, how he plans to make America a welcoming and safe place for everyone. Dr. Sayed, transforming our energy system to 100% reno- renewable energy, is that realistic? I mean, it's, it's, it better be realistic if we intend to keep living on Earth. Um, you know, right now our, our energy production uh, relies on us burning a bunch of crap that we got out of the ground into the air, where our kids then breathe it, makes them sick, and then it goes up into the atmosphere and perpetuates a changing climate uh, that makes our Earth sick. Like, that's the situation that we're in right now. Um, the science tells us we have 11 years and counting uh, until the changes that we see right now are irreversible. And um, the hard part about climate change for a lot of folks is they're like, well, you know, eh, warming, what does that even mean for me? Well, look, it, it means that you're seeing once-in-a-lifetime storms multiple times a year, like once-in-a-lifetime bushfires in Australia burning huge swaths of forest uh, consistently. Uh, it means that you're seeing these tsunamis that used to exist, that used to come around um, you know, the, every 500 years or so. They're a regular occurrence annually. Um, these are, this, this is what the manifestation looks like. And in human costs, it means people who are being uprooted from their homes. It means kids with asthma. It means our inability to, uh, make decisions about our future because we know we have to shift the situation that we're existing right now. Um, and so, yes, it is possible. It just means that we have to stand up to the corporations that have, uh, have, have, have vested interest in making sure that we keep burning this stuff, uh, to heat our homes and, and drive our cars, um, it's, a, it's something that we have to do uh, in our own lives, yes, getting to uh, zero waste, as you've talked about on this podcast, but it also means making sure that the corporations uh, that profiteer off of this stuff are held accountable, um, means taking their influence out of our politics, uh, and it means deciding that we're going to work with the international community, not against them, uh, and pretend that science isn't real and that we can just keep going about our merry way because a bunch of corporations make a lot of money doing it and give us some of it to get reelected. Can you both kind of speak to how much influence corporations currently have in our political system? I think this is something, I love what you just said. We tend to phrase, you know, our alignment with climate as being something individual, but we're faced with corporate players, which are just almost insurmountable, right? But can you guys give us a glimpse into how much influence corporate entities have in the current political system? I love what Senator Sanders said in one of the last debates. He said that what we have already is socialism for the rich and wealthy. Exactly. And I think that's what we really need to address. What does that mean, though, socialism for the rich and the wealthy? These insane tax breaks for the rich and wealthy. That I think those are the real issues that need to be addressed. And when people say, how are we going to pay for that? How are we going to pay for that? Well, that's that's how we're going to pay for that, Mm. (laughs) you know? We're, we're no longer going to be a socialist country for the rich. We're going to transform this country into representing everyone. And that means the working class. And that's what's really important. Yeah, absolutely. Um, just to put in perspective, uh, you know, we have the highest prescription drug prices in the world. Over the last 20 years, the pharmaceutical industry has spent $4.4 billion 
lobbying government. And when you ask yourself why we pay too much in prescription drugs, it's because they've lobbied government to change the laws so that we have to pay more. That's how this works. Um, you know, when I ran for governor in Michigan, one of my opponents uh, used this dark money uh, account to move huge amounts of money from major corporations in the area, who of course wanted her to win because I wanted to stand up to them, um, to uh, to run ads uh, talking about why uh, she was the right choice. Um, it's it's pervasive and it's insidious, uh, and it's the reason why we are the most unequal society. Uh, in in the in the world, I'm one of the most unequal societies in, among high income countries in the world, and uh, we are um, we are accelerating in our inequality. Uh, it's because the, the the rich have figured out a way to break the firewall between themselves uh, and government, and so get to call the shots in government because they can influence elections. Were you able to trace where that money came from? Did that ever come out? So uh, some of it came out, but, uh, you know, one of them, for example, just to, to put in perspective, we were talking about the climate. Um, DTE is, uh, and, and Consumers Energy are the major, uh, they're the major purveyors of, uh, of, of local utilities here. And obviously they don't want uh, us to really radically change the way we, we produce energy because it would affect their bottom line. Um, and uh, it came out that, um, that they had written uh, a check in the, in the amount of hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, wow. into this dark money account that then uh, that then ran these ads. Mm, mm, mm. Incredible. And you know what Dr. Abdul just said made me think, you know, we have so many people. I mean, I talk to my Uber drivers and, you know, people on the street, like the post office and talking, we talk about, you know, I ask them because I work for Bernie. I ask them, you know, um, who, who do you plan to vote for? Do you plan to vote? And what we have is people who don't follow they don't follow the news they don't follow the candidates because they don't have the time they're just struggling to survive Mm -hmm. they're struggling to pay their bills they're struggling to feed their kids and what we're seeing is um you know these corporations are paying attention they are following the news and they're going to decide unless if we do something about it unless if we pay attention and stand up for ourselves stand up for our rights and make sure that we do get healthcare for everyone. We do get tuition-free education. We do cancel student debt. We abolish, you know, and dismantle ICE and detention centers and for-profit prisons. We need to make that happen. And that's only going to happen when we pay attention, follow the news, and make a decision about who we're going to make the next president of the United States. Mm. You know, Dr. Said, a difficult conversation I've had to have with a few students since 2016 is I am DACA, I'm that kid, and not really knowing what's going to happen in the next year, next month, next week, and now we see ICE um, kind of heightening its activities, especially in New York City. Sanctuary City seems to be kind of now the place that they want to target more. Can you talk about DACA quickly? Because I don't think Muslims realize we do have a lot of people that are impacted by it. I get a phone call from my brother every two or three weeks from a city worried about what's happening next. And then if you can both also talk about, you know, making America welcome to all. I was uh, in Chicago um, and uh, I was uh, about to speak at, at one of the Muslim conferences there. And we are talking about the election and um, the young man who was driving me to the venue uh, is about my age and uh, of Palestinian descent. And we were talking and he said, look, I, I've got one issue that I care about right now. Uh, and I said, what? He said, it's um, immigration. I said, why is that? He said, well, 
because I'm I'm one of those one of those people who who gets to stay here because of DACA and um, and so you know these stories that you're talking about they're everywhere and they're pervasive in our own community. DACA was a program that was intended to allow people who had been brought here by their parents, uh, though without documents, to to stay. Um, and you know it just makes sense. I mean these are people who are American in every way except for uh, what their papers say on them and. Um, unfortunately, we've seen as Donald Trump has uh, used his platform and used the presidency to, uh, to, to marginalize, alienate, and oppress uh, people of color, and in particular immigrants, uh, largely because he is appealing to a nativist sense of, of who we are as a country. He's playing to the worst instincts of white nationalism. And, um, and one of the uh, programs he's gone after is this one. Um, he's used ICE and, and the, the Customs and Border Patrol uh, agency of this country to um, to perpetuate that political brand of his, uh, and it's extremely dangerous. And you know, I one of the big reasons that I uh, I, I believe in, in in Bernie is because, like me, his parents were immigrants, right? And they came here believing in a better life a long a long time ago, uh, but believing in a better life in an America that was accepting and empowering for all. Um, and we have to continue to be that country because even though America hasn't always been kind to immigrants, immigration has been extremely kind. Uh, to America. And um, we're a better country for it. Uh, but even more so than that, these are people's lives and we have to stand with them. Mm. No Seba. Yeah, you know, it's just shocking the people I've met who've been abused and assaulted in immigration detention centers. And we just need to end that. We really just need to end that. I mean, there is no excuse for, I, I mean, you know, you know where I'm from. So just Yesterday, I was talking to someone who was so kind, just, you know, this American woman who was, you know, kind and lovely and everything. And then I found out that she was a Trump supporter. <laughs> and wow. it's like, well, you know, you're kind to me. You know me. You know my family. Why would you vote for someone who wants to get rid of us, who wants us out of this country? It just feels like you might as well look at my face and say, go back home right and it's just your home is georgia well (laughs) my home is florida but yeah i've lived in georgia i live in california now and so you know i'm back home in florida and so i'm seeing all these people who who i was born and raised around and a lot of them are trump supporters and it's just shocking because you know a lot of these families are working class families and Really, they, they do care about healthcare. They do care about the things. And so when you talk to them, sometimes you really can turn a Trump supporter to a Bernie supporter pretty quickly. Um, it's just shocking to think that someone is okay with putting a child in a cage. Right? Wow. We, need to, we just need to end that. We need to see that reality. And it's everywhere. It's all across America. We need to end for-profit detention centers. We need to end... Um, you know, deportations, we're separating families, we're destroying children's lives. And that's not something anyone anywhere should be doing. I was listening to one of my old podcasts last night trying to gas myself up for this incredible interview. And um, one of them actually starts with the recording of children crying that have been separated from their parents at the border. And I started to think my old DJ hat came on what are the sounds of this presidency? Mm-hmm. You know, what, what would just be the sounds if we were to amass, you know, from the birth of his candidacy 
um, making fun of people with disabilities, making fun of Latinos, black people, Muslims, women. What would be the sounds of this presidency? What would that mixtape sound like? That is so powerful. (laughs) And it's not a good mixtape. No. And and to hear children crying, um, I think is is kind of the front and the end of that mixtape, because it's just it's just brutal. Uh, Doctor Abdul Say uh, Abdul, I know you got a I know you got a lot going on. Tell us what you're up to and how can people support you? Yeah, well, um, I I really appreciate that, and I really appreciate this conversation and Nusaba's hard work organizing in our community uh, for Bernie. Um, we've got an opportunity in 2020 to, to turn the page. I, uh, I wrote a book um, that comes out March 31st called Healing Politics. Uh, I'll be touring uh, all over the country. Got a couple stops in New York, which I'm excited about. Hope I get to reconnect with you. Um, but the, the premise of the book is that uh, we've got to find our empathy and recognize uh, that if we can see the best in each other, then we have an opportunity to uh, engage our politics and move them out of this rut that we're in. And that's going to take solving this epidemic of insecurity that I think so many people face that that retrenches us and says that, you know, I'm just afraid of losing more. So let me just uh, find my tribe and, and sit with them. And, um, you know, I come from an uncommon family where my parents were immigrants, but my stepmom who raised me uh, was white American. So a lot of my family, you know, voted for Donald Trump. And I uh, remember having a very similar um, feeling to what Nuseba just described. And realizing that for them, you know, even though they have Muslim family that they love, the issue that they pay attention to is the suffering that they see every day. And they were looking for a change. And um, unfortunately, Democrats didn't offer that in, in 2016, and we lost. Um, we've got an opportunity to offer that in 2020, and I think we need to take it. Um, so I hope that uh, I'll get to see folks uh, when I'm out there. Check out the, the book at healingpoliticsbook.com. Um, and really, really appreciate the, the opportunity to chat about um, where where. Uh, where we're going in 2020, inshallah, the kind of country that we can build together. Barakallah, Fik, man. Thank you. Sitch Nuseba, you uh, are doing a great job representing not just the Muslim community, Americans, women, um, you know, so many things happening that you impact positively, mashallah, and represent an incredible struggle. How can American Muslims, your family, right, because we need to start to look at each other as family, Right, a family mm-hmm. within a family. Mm-hmm. How can we? Because I don't think people realize a lot of infighting that happens with Muslims too. That just gets really tiring. Yeah. So having general support is always so important. How can we support you in the work that you do within the campaign and and beyond well, and beyond? Well, I really appreciate that. Um, honestly, I, I'm here to support the community, you know, I think, I think of it as the other way around. And um, I'm here to represent my people to the best way possible. Of course, we have diverse voices, we have, we're not a monolith. Um, But I do my best. And I hope that people can continue to share the issues that they care about with me. And I also hope that if people do see uh, their voice represented in our campaign, but they will organize, they will politically organize. And something we talk about in our webinars that we, we did, you know, we launched our Muslims for Bernie program in November with a really large call with Linda Sarsour with hundreds of people listening in. And we had multiple webinars after that for, you know, Muslims for Bernie across the country. And what we talked about is, you know, we need to move from online activism, the social media activism to 
real activism and organizing. So politically organizing, that means, like I was saying earlier, canvassing, phone banking. And what you can do is just go to berniesanders.com forward slash volunteer. And that is really the best thing that you can do to help us, to help Muslims for Bernie, to help our community, to make our dream a reality in 2020. And like Dr. Abdul said, we will not get a third chance. Can you this give is our chance. Can you give that address one more time? BernieSanders.com forward slash volunteer. All right, let's all be Ansar. Let's get out there and get busy. Um, this is an important year, perhaps one of the most important years in the history of this country as well as, as the world. A lot going on. A lot of people influenced. We see what's happening in India. Um, this kind of nasty nativism populist message has really begun to spread. Sister Nuseba, yeah. it and, has... and Bernie addressed that yesterday. Let's hear it. What do you yeah, say? It's... What do you say? Drops the Yeah, bars. we had it. Ooh, I, I got to look up the tweet now. <laughs> um, basically, Bernie said that over 200 million Muslims call India home. And that, you know, what Trump did by talking with the... Uh, you know, the leader over there was just wrong. And we can't be condoning this violence and, and terrorism against Muslims in India. And it needs to stop. It mm. needs to stop. And I think we have, you know, Senator Sanders, who will hopefully be our President Sanders, will speak for these injustices against Muslims, not just in America, but abroad. Allahu Akbar. It has been a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much for being on SwissCast. I want to encourage people to get out, volunteer, and support the campaign of Senator Sanders. I endorsed him a while back and really, really hope that great things can be accomplished. Thank you, Sister Nuseba. You are an inspiration. And Dr. Sayed, who had to jump off and handle some business. Barakallahu feekum. Wassalamu alaikum. Thank you so much. Wa